We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, Week 9, Waiver Wire, Pickups, Ads. I'd say drops, but we probably won't talk about that. Look ahead at the spreads, DraftKings Showdown for Monday night, a full list of injuries, and a recap of Week 8. If you are looking for the list of pickups and running back, snap shares, and DraftKings strategy, hit the comment section or description of this video or podcast, and you can find the links to all of that stuff. The WaiverWire.com will be updated Later on after Monday Night Football, Tuesday morning, Tuesday evening to adjust for any trades or injuries that may or may not, I mean, may not happen. I guess it won't be may not happen, but if they do happen, I'll update the call. Someone secretly was hurt, but it hasn't been announced yet. I'll update that too. It's a living document and you can find it on dkplaybook.com. want to remind everyone out there to smash the like button for the episode. And if you leave your DraftKings handle after doing that in the comment section, not the live chat, the comment section, tell me where you would rank Mark Walton. PPR-wise, among running backs for the rest of the season. This is following the Kenyon Drake trade. I'll break this down with Sal Vetri here momentarily, but I'm just curious to see what your thoughts on old Mark Walton are. I mean, he's not great. Miami's not great. But hey, it looks like he's going to get some work. So how much does that mean to you, really? Would you rather have Mark Walton or like one of the handcuffs, I guess, is where you really need to factor this in when you think of your rest of the season rankings? Good schedule for Miami coming up as well. The other ways to get into the draws for 20 DK bucks, you can subscribe, rate, review, and download the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcasts. Five-star review, DraftKings handle, something nice about the show. Boom, you'll be in that draw for 20 DK bucks, just as you will if you go to Instagram, follow me at the PME, like one of the sports photos, leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section. Those are the three ways from this show you can get into the draw for 20 DK dollars. The winners from last week, we have Ty Star 243 Skinman203, Papa Hoffa78, Doyle10, Zzz, Saw, TL Crowley, Saint Daddy 24, 
Rippin' Terran, and 2010GT1. All the winners of 20 DK bucks, you should be credited later on today into your DraftKings account. Congratulations. Let's bring him on right now from the Salvetri YouTube channel and other places all around these internets. Salvetri, what's going on, my man? What's going on, Pat? Yeah, I hope you had a good weekend. I'm excited to kind of recap it, look ahead a little bit. It was a weekend, uh, at least when I was looking through some of these games, it seemed like every single game had two flea flickers in it. I was seeing a ton of flea flickers and uh, fourth down conversions going for it, so some things finally getting into the NFL game that fantasy people have been calling for, maybe Madden people. So excited to break it down and uh, recap last week. Definitely. Yeah. One thing that did not go well for me were my bets this week. I had by far my worst week of props for whatever reason. I thought, you know, the jets ghosts don't travel well, six and a half points in Jacksonville. This should be a field goal game, right? Nope. Sam Darnold reeks too badly in order to cover his spread. Sal. Yeah. I mean, that that's a rough spot to have that line on it. And yeah, it seemed like, I mean, Darnold, Nonstop was facing pressure. They lost another offensive lineman during the game. They came in down one offensive lineman. Uh, so nonstop pressure under him. But, I mean, the turnovers aren't his part. Some of it was pressure and do. Some of it was just awful throws. I mean, not even close to receivers on one of them. Well, let's get into this right away. Let's talk about the big trade news from Monday morning. Kenyon Drake gets shipped off to the Arizona Cardinals. With Chase Edmonds leaving the game with a hamstring injury, and then you have David Johnson, who you know basically missed two weeks ago after playing one snap, didn't play on Sunday. They now have a quick turnaround Thursday night at home against the 49ers, who have a softer run defense and pass defense, but still a very good uh, defense overall. They're eight-point underdogs at home. So now we bring in... Kenyon Drake and Zach Zenner was the one who saw the majority of the work once Chase Edmonds went down against the Saints. Alfred Moore is still on the roster. How are we playing this? Like, does Drake actually have any value? Because if we have this situation, then Arizona has a bye week and they have the long week and then eventually they'll have a bye. Like David Johnson and or Chase Edmonds will eventually return, won't they? Yeah, I think they do. And so right now what you're seeing is maybe this is a serious injury for David Johnson and they don't quite know the extent yet of Chase Edmonds injury so they saw somebody out there that they can get relatively cheap and they went ahead and got him so I think that if anything he's valuable for this Thursday David Johnson might not play again on a short week we'll check the practice reports for today and really tomorrow today's are going to be unofficial Uh, but for tomorrow as well for Chase Edmonds who they said they don't think and it seems serious and right now leaning questionable already that he plays Thursday so it seems like you might get a rental for exactly what you were saying after that you have a bye week coming up Uh, So it might very much be just like a one-week rental on a guy like Kenyon Drake, who is talented. So burying that on your depth chart seems a little bit odd if that's the case. Maybe there's something more going on with David Johnson. I guess the practice reports will tell us this week. So it goes 49ers, Buccaneers, 49ers. Three terrible matchups for the Cardinals, especially in the run game, three weeks in a row. Then they go on bye. Like... I know, I know Kenyon Drake's still owned in like 70% of leagues, but some people are talking about like, oh, we got to trade for him. He's like the new starter in Arizona. That's definitely not the case. I am far more interested. Even like, okay, let's say we can pencil in Kenyon Drake for 80% of the snaps Thursday night against the 49ers, which I don't think is going to be the case. But let's say that's best case scenario. Let's say that happens. Do you even feel good about starting him? Yeah, no, I don't think you do. Even if you get that much of a workload, if you're in a bind is really where you're starting him. And if you're probably trying to scoop him up on the waivers, that might be where you are right now, if it's kind of a plug and play. But yeah, I don't feel comfortable starting him in that type of a matchup, especially on a short week. I mean, we saw what Christian McCaffrey did to them, but that's um, pretty bold to try and compare the situation uh, for Christian McCaffrey, who really had just two big plays to open up his stat line in that game against his 49ers front. So yeah, I don't feel confident if I have any other 
viable running backs, two guys on my team, I'm probably not going to start him this Thursday. Yeah, or even, I mean, you should probably end up having three. But I think the more interesting case with all of this is what now happens in Miami. You have Mark Walton, uh, who's going to end up being the starter for Miami, and we'll see how that distribution breaks down Monday night against the Steelers. We have Walton, you have Kalen Balaj, who's been used exclusively at least the past month or so as their goal line back. That's about the only time he ends up seeing the field. So that's not great for the prospects of Mark Walton in this matchup against the Steelers isn't so good either but Miami has a easier schedule as the season goes along if he can retain this job that I do actually think he has I don't want to say incredible value like I said the giveaway is where would you rank him the rest of the season I was thinking like running back 26 or so like you could probably play Mark Walton as a decent flex play every week yeah I think so like right now you look at some of these uh like rankings at where Kenyon Drake was coming in for the season points on that team as the starter uh, but there's a lot of things skewing that. So as on the team as Miami trying to compare it to Mark Walton, Kenyon Drake was coming in around like 35th. Now there's bye week going into that. There's he was splitting a workload that Mark Walton now doesn't have to split. And then you have like backups who take on full responsibilities like Latavius Murray as of late. So I was going to say somewhere around like a 28 range, um, somewhere next to maybe like a Carlos Hyde's value for the rest of the year, if not a little more upside there. Yeah, I mean, we saw what he did last week already taking over a workload. It was kind of already indicated that the trade might be happening. We get news of that. Um, he's going to be going to Arizona now. So yeah, I think Mark Walton is a, a fine flex play each and every week uh, with an upside, obviously in this offense, it's a little bit cap, but if they don't, and I want to see what happens tonight, if they don't activate miles Gaskin, which I think they will eventually, but if they don't, then that shows a little bit more confidence that they have in giving, um, tonight Mark Walton, at least a, a bigger workload. Yeah, it's not the greatest of all schedules, but the playoff matchups are Jets, Giants, Bengals for the Dolphins. And you, I like the name that you said, Carlos Hyde, because Carlos Hyde is like your quintessential flex play this season. He has relatively little upside. He does nothing in the passing game, but he gets enough bulk volume on the ground that he can pile up these yards in a good offense. Maybe you steal a touchdown. Walton's sort of the opposite. They play like a similar amount of snaps. And Walton won't be as effective because this offense is just putrid. But they do have the schedule that opens up a little bit, especially in the fantasy playoffs. Yet he's just used more in the passing game. So for PPR purposes, he might be as valuable or even more valuable, potentially. Yeah, I agree. I think where you get the value from him is in the passing game. I think that's where a lot of it's going to come from. I mean, the guy already has, in very limited snaps, really just coming through the last two weeks or so, already has seen 11 targets. And again, last week led the entire team in in both touches in the air and on the ground for Miami. So I think it's a nice ad. I have him in one of my leagues, uh, picked him up last week, just sort of a stash play, thinking that this might happen since they've been saying it for like six weeks now that they want to trade Kenyon Drake. So finally they shipped him out. Uh, the other big thing too, some leagues, Yahoo most definitely, but other formats actually have this, where if a team hasn't played yet during the week, all of their players remain free agents, aren't actually sub- actually subjected to being on the waiver wire. So most definitely, if Mark Walton is still available in one of those leagues, go pick him up. He's only like 30% owned, so he should be out there in some of them and just drop some guy on your team who you, know, you didn't play this week, who's no good, make that swap immediately. But I would even try it with Kalen Balage as well, just in case this is a weird scenario where we get into Monday night and all of a sudden, hey, we need to see what we have with Balazs. He's the one playing all the shares. I would say that that is very unlikely, but it's a free move. Who cares? If It's much better picking him up now, either one of them, definitely Walton over Balazs, but if either one of them is out there, you pick them up now, you wait and see, and maybe you get surprised. Maybe Walton gets hurt on the first play of the game, then all of a sudden Balazs is the only guy they have left. It's much better making that move today for free than trying to figure it out for, you know, 17 fab bucks tomorrow 
Yeah, I completely agree. I think that, like you said, you're kind of playing with house money there, so you might as well go ahead and do it. Uh, what we've been seeing the last couple of weeks, again, this is what Drake factored in, is Balazs just as a goal line back. But I like exactly what you said. If you do get some sort of injury tonight, it's really just Balazs on that depth chart that's probably going to be active tonight. And moving forward, you don't really know what they're going to be doing with this workload. It seems like it's it's Mark Walton's job, but really all we've had is uh, a one-and-a-half game sample or so of that. All of the injuries for the week at running back I have right here. Miles Sanders left the game with the Bills with a shoulder injury. It looks like he is going to play in week nine. However, against the Bears, Royce Freeman also had a shoulder injury. He remained in the game, but monitor that during the week and check out the practice reports. Chase Edmonds left with the hamstring against the Saints. He's doubtful for Thursday night, uh, as is David Johnson with all his injuries. So again, Kenyon Drake, Zach Center would be the two in that situation. Matt Breda left with an ankle injury uh, against the Carolina Panthers. That's a quick turnaround. So he may not play on Thursday night. And there's a chance that Jeff Wilson doesn't either. He sustained a head injury. It could be a possible concussion. That might just not be enough time for him to turn around and actually play Thursday night. So that leaves Tevin Coleman and Colonel Mostart as the two active running backs. Because we know that Kyle Juszczyk is also out, at least right now, for the San Francisco 49ers. So Mostart, if you're in the deepest of leagues and you need someone to run out there, it is a good matchup if Breda sits. He probably ends up playing like 40% of the snaps, sees double-digit touches. That's what we've been come to expect with the 49ers offense. They're just going to run, 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 run. Coleman obviously in a very high-end smash spot in that spot, but like it's almost to the equivalent of like when we look at the actual waiver wire, like I have Walton at number one, Jamal Williams at number two. Uh, I think that's an interesting argument to have but Jamal Williams even though he's playing like 40% of the snaps in the Packers offense he's now utilized so much that you can actually flex him every single week and feel like okay playing him this could be a situation with Mostard if Breda is out that he would fall into that mix at least for this one week that would be the angle that I would take on it yeah I think that's a fair angle and yeah you have to watch what the injuries are there I agree like after seeing what Aaron Jones did last night just as a receiver in that offense as a running back going for like 150 yards 226 total yards and just seeing the splits and touches, you would think that he played 80% of the snaps. But yeah, when you look back at it, you still had Jamal Williams playing somewhere in the 40% range of snaps. And that's really how it's been all year long. And um, the way that Jamal Williams has improved since last year, it makes him viable. And the Packers know that. They're going to keep him on the field. It's going to be tough to keep him on the field as much as he has been, see a majority of the snap type of week to have upside as a flex guy. But if he's on the field and he's going to see four targets like he has been seeing, uh, it's worthy of a flex spot. And then, yeah, most start. I mean, we see what this guy does whenever he touches the ball. As long as he's healthy and he has touches, he's going to be productive. And just the running game for the Niners has been so good. Kyle Shanahan's scheming has just been off the charts good. Like, even like the little shovel pass play to Tevin Coleman is such a unique play design, and it worked so effectively, but just by drawing everyone in and just like, and then all of a sudden there's no one in front of them. So just getting Mostert, like his 10 touches in the San Francisco offense in this matchup are the equivalent of like 20 touches in a bad, like the Jordan Howard 20 touches against the Bills. And what was a bad matchup, he got there, but he needed the 20 touches to do it. I think in 10 touches, Mostert could actually be somewhat productive if Breda sits yeah I agree and I think that like the way that these coaches in terms of like the top end coaches what we expect out of them how they're sort of handling their teams this year Shanahan and then Sean Payton stands out it's just remarkable how they're scheming some guys open last night Andy Reid was probably one of the better coaching performances that I've seen uh this season and yeah you have so much more upside like you said when you have even a even a difficult matchup for a heavier volume running back it's sort of almost equivalent if you're going to see a little less touches but you have a better coach in the scheme behind you 
So Mark Walton, number one in the waiver wire pickups. Number two, Jamal Williams. Number three, Adrian Peterson. Would you order those differently? Because then it goes Balage and Zenner. And then all the backups. Edward Samuels, uh, Madison, Armstead, Bonifon, Tony Power, Daryl Henderson, Gallman, like all those guys. Uh, Zenner's only here for this week. Like if you need a plug and play, like if it came down to it, and we'll talk about the top guys, whether you like Williams or Peterson more than Mark Walton. But do you think right now, if it's just Drake and Zenner active for Thursday night, which one would you rather have? Uh, if it's just both of them active, I would rather have Drake just more upside in the in the receiving game uh, between the two of those guys. That would be that would be. I think that's probably where it's trending right now. But that's where I would go. I would probably be Drake on Thursday night, and I think that I do. I will prefer Mark Walton right now. Like out of all those guys on that running back chart. Yeah. Would you go Williams or Adrian Peterson? Do you think? So I think this is like last week you were saying uh, right now I would go Adrian Peterson just to have that immediate opportunity. Even if Chris Thompson comes back, it's obviously a terrible offense and it's very game flow dependent for him. But I mean, that Thursday night game, Adrian Peterson was looking like, I don't know, five years ago self on some of those cutbacks. So I'll take him just because I can feel confident about him seeing 10 to 12 and even in some games, 15 plus touches. Uh, Williams is a flex play, like we were saying, a low end flex play, but a high end handcuff. So I'll take Adrian Peterson just for the time being. The one thing that I really wanted to look at with this is that Peterson's at the Bills this week, then Washington goes on bye. So you might end up dropping him anyway or be stuck with him during a bye week, and Adrian Peterson's not that type of guy to actually do that with. That was my preference of Jamal Williams over him for this week's rankings. That's fair for this week's rankings, yeah. I, I think I, I see that side of it. I think just long-term is really what you're wanting from Adrian or Aaron Jones really is an injury there, just the way that he's playing. So I think I still stick with Adrian Peterson. I think another name on this list that it's, it's, it's one that you don't have to waste the waiver priority, but something to just look at come Wednesday when your waivers are over and just track and the news will jump on it a little bit, but Rashad Penny is being shopped around right now. They seem to have given him, given him more snaps for maybe trade bait reasons. And he looked good. So if he goes to a team where he can have a workload, potentially maybe a place like Detroit, um, and be somewhat of a featured back, it might be worth just thinking about and having in the back of your head if you see that news pop up. Well, let's talk about the Pat Mayo Experience DraftKings Open, the contest that I run every single week. It's $15 to play. It's a three-max entry, and there is no rake, so $45,000 of guaranteed money in the prize pool. It's my best contest every week. I play three entries, and I lose two and win one, generally speaking. I only lose, like, five bucks. That's, like, the best ROI I have. Like, like negative just a little bit? That's fine with me, as long as I'm not getting completely wiped out like I was on the betting board this week. When that contest link becomes available, I will add it to the description of this video and podcast. You can find it in there. Reserve your speak seat quickly because it fills up rather quickly uh the winner this week case of the monday is five thousand dollars so here's another reason to play so there was three thousand people in this contest fifteen dollar entry this lineup won five thousand dollars if you had entered it into the millionaire maker i believe it would have come ninth uh, and it would have won six thousand dollars but you had to beat around 10 times or more as many people in order to do that so that's why this is another reason why this is the best contest on DraftKings. but here's the lineup sal Deshaun Watson at running back that was paired with DeAndre Hawkins in the flex spot Um, very popular stack this week and it really worked out 28 points 25 points you're doing good you needed the other pieces but at running back Latavius Murray who was 53% owned David Montgomery 3% owned Corey Davis at 20% ownership got a hefty three points Mike Evans at 13% Kenny Galladay at 28% Jonu Smith at 12% Patriots D at 9% That seems like a lineup a lot of people could have fallen backwards into. They didn't, obviously, so good on Case of the Mondays for coming up with this one. But 
I think that we try to outsmart ourselves a bit too much sometimes. Like the big play there is realistically it's Mike Evans. Take Mike Evans in that spot instead of like Michael Thomas and all of a sudden you win. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a huge part that like just so much content going around with all the fantasy and the DFS DraftKings. I think it's a, a huge piece to, especially in the NFL, NFL is probably the biggest one maybe, is just to when you see chalk and it's good in a good spot, it's fine to play it. It's just don't overthink it like you were saying. It, you have so many spots and I, I did sort of a little bit of a research over the past two years of just looking at tournaments and you could play the top five or six guys and the pricing is all fine you could fit them all in that are the chalkiest plays of the slate and still get unique if you just have one guy in a sort of single digit ownership range of eight to seven percent so yeah like you were saying don't overthink it if a guy is in a great spot and he's a good player there's a reason why he should be owned and you don't have to just fade it for no reason the biggest one for me was the biggest like lineup to regret that I have. I paid a lot for Waller in some spots because I really tried to focus on that Houston-Oakland game. And obviously he was a complete bust. He had nine points uh, despite two catches on nine targets. Looking good there, Derek Carr, with your accuracy problems. But I tried to pay down at the position. I didn't use any Cameron Brait but I did use a lot of Josh Hill. Josh Hill was my preference over Johnny Smith because I thought that Johnny Smith was going to end up being relatively chalky, and I thought all things being equal, I'll take the guy with the lower ownership if I have them rated about the same. That, Sal, was a huge mistake. Johnny Smith was the play, and if we look at um, just sort of the pickups that happened this week, it does seem like, except for once every time that Delaney Walker has missed time, that Johnny Smith has kind of been the man, but I feel like trying to trust this Titans offense in any sort of way is just such risky business. Like just, you heard how much that Corey Davis was owned, but like no one should ever trust Corey Davis ever. <laughs> yeah. And that, that was the thing coming in is you saw the ownership, even on stacks of this team going into the weekend, it was just scary because yeah, there's a real chance Tannehill would have to be the person to move the ball and not Derrick Henry against that defense. And yeah, it's really tough to trust John Smith. And I, I would have gone the same route. Cameron Braid, I was looking at it some fun spots because even if you look at the things that he was doing without Delaney Walker, a lot of that was with a different quarterback. It's really hard to judge what the um, connection would be like behind behind John Smith and something we have not seen all that much through one game and Tannehill uh, and the ownership coming in on Corey Davis. I actually liked Corey Davis this past weekend and we finally saw a week where just they went completely in a rotation at wide receiver and snap counts. Corey Davis saw under 70% of the snaps, which he hasn't seen in a few weeks now, and it just really crushed his overall upside. He was the only guy really targeted downfield, but, I mean, you have to complete those for it to actually count for fantasy. Yeah, that was the whole thing. Like, if you look at the adjusted area for the week, Corey Davis finished inside the top 10. They were trying to take shots with him, but Ryan Tannehill's not good, so that's an issue. Yeah, that, that is, that's the biggest issue of it. Like, if he's not going to be owned and that stack's not owned, yeah, they're playing a pass funnel defense in Tampa, then, okay, it's fine. And really, they, they had a good opportunity just on short fields, and Derrick Henry did have some big runs. But once he starts getting popular, like, the, the, the ways to poke holes in him becomes even um, easier to do, especially when ownership comes up on it. Yeah, always fade the chalky, cheap receiver. This week, it was Corey Davis, and it was Deshaun Hamilton. They combined for a quality 2.9 points. Yeah, I, I don't know what the finish on Kenny Stills was too but he was up there in like top five ownership and I know he didn't pay off the tag the last that I was checking out oh yeah I, I loved myself some Kenny Stills this week he was like $4,700 he played 97% of the snaps and ended up with three catches like he truly did fill in for Will Fuller because that is an ultimate Will Fuller spot like either you get all the fantasy points or none of the fantasy points so he really did live up to the spot that he overtook yeah I agree and I had Kenny Stills too in spots where I didn't have like the the Houston stacks, I tried to pay up a little bit out of the 4K range to Tyler Boyd. It was okay, but I mean, on 50-plus Andy Dalton pass attempts, you would have liked to see a lot more than like 12 Tyler Boyd points. Let's talk about week. Let's recap a little bit. We'll do a bit of a rewind here. 
on week eight. We've already talked about the waiver wire running back. If you want to hit the time codes after the show, you can jump ahead to the rest of the injuries and other position waiver wires. But few things here. Uh, Let's go back to the Cardinals for a second. I thought it was very interesting with Christian Kirk coming back, how their offense actually looked. Now, we still don't know what's happening in their backfield, whether it be Drake or whether it be Zenner, or maybe all of a sudden David Johnson's fine and he ends up starting. We can't know that on a Monday afternoon. But what we can do is look at this offense, at least in the receiving core, that happened during the week. And it was very curious. And maybe this was a move to get Christian Kirk off Marcus Lattimore. But both Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald played predominantly out of the slot in that game. Keyshawn Johnson was inactive against the Saints. And then on the outside, you had Trent Sherfield and Demir Bird. Do you think that's something that we'll see with the Cardinals moving forward? Because Charles Clay actually ended up playing a bunch of snaps as well. Yeah, I think I think we'll see this moving forward more. So we we saw we saw this a good amount, maybe the first two or three weeks of the season when Kirk was healthy, and then he gets injured, and they just completely stop running four wide receiver sets, completely stop running, uh, not completely, but run a lot less three wide receiver sets. So yeah, seeing these guys both line them at this in the slot um, is something that I would expect to continue to happen. They're both that's where they started at the beginning of the year. Fitzgerald was playing through like the first three weeks, ninety percent of the snaps there. Uh, Christian Kirk was playing eighty-two percent of the snaps. Um, so it's something that I thought I would see. Uh, and you get Demir Bird back on the outside, Sherfield on the other hash. Yeah, with Keyshawn Johnson being out, it's pretty much the offense they were running the first week or two of the season, except no David Johnson now. So I would expect this moving forward. And really, I mean, Christian Kirk, you talked about his price last week on DraftKings, and just in general, he doesn't have the highest upside targets. It's like single digits in his air yards and a dot. Uh, but he's just getting like 10 a week right now. And it's hard to ignore, even though it is four or five weeks of a sample, it's really hard to ignore that he's breaking away right now from Fitzgerald in terms of who Murray's favorite target is. It's kind of interesting for Thursday night as well, because we know the San Francisco pass defense is good, but we saw with McCaffrey that you're able to churn out yardage on them on the ground if you really do commit to that, but they score so many points that it's hard to commit to that because uh, you're just wasting the clock away. But other, the other soft spot on that team is out of the slot and low A dot throw. So that could be a decent situation for Christian Kirk on Thursday night in a game where I just feel like a lot of people will overlook him. Yeah, I agree with that. Somebody opening up here as well. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I agree with that as well. Like Christian Kirk is the guy that he's the only player that I owned in that Arizona offense this past weekend with any ownership. And it still was like 8% or so. Um, but he's like the main guy that I would want to get to uh, in, in that offense just because of the lower eight out targets. And when you're just getting a ton of them, um, it's going to just translate, obviously, for PPR formats a lot better. We saw Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, he continues to struggle against bad defensive backs. And then this past week, he finally gets something into the end zone, and it just ends up being he can't toe-tap, something that he's made a living on doing. Uh, so he's really struggling right now. Sticking with the 49ers, and maybe we'll see more of this on Thursday night, but I want to talk about the two guys who were traded last week, Emmanuel Sanders and Mohamed Sanu. So Sanders caught a touchdown, only saw five targets, but played the most snaps of any San Francisco wide receiver at 82%. So he'll only get more ingrained into this offense. But the curious thing here was Debo Samuel had a rushing touchdown. He played 70% of the snaps. Kendrick Bourne, 48%. Dante Pettis, only 30%. Richie James, 22%. This is without Marquise Goodwin, who may or may not return for Thursday night. He was dealing with a bit of an injury. Then he had a personal problem as well. So maybe he'll end up returning Thursday night. But like Pettis is legitimately unownable. He seems like a trade candidate at this point. But what do you do with Manny Sanders the rest of the season? Like where does he rank amongst wide receivers? I'm having a hard time getting my mind around it because optimally, unless he catches a touchdown, like he has an awful game here where the Niners just post points left and right. And if they're a team that's going to be committed so much to the run, what sort of upside does he actually have? 
Yeah, so I think the upside in this offense, so there's a couple of ways to look at it. First of all, there's just so many players, like we've been saying for a couple of weeks now in this offense, so it's hard to really see him consistently having a floor and really a ceiling. So that's the part that I lean to. But the second piece is Emmanuel Sanders. He was playing outside in Denver. Um, now he's going to be playing in the slot uh, for the San Francisco team. And really the slot wide receivers have been a mixture of a Kendrick Bourne and a Richie James. So the usage for them, I mean, they're a different skill level it might be a little bit of a bump up here for Jimmy G and he might target that spot a little bit more when you have a higher, higher productive player coming out of the slot. So I think there's a little more questions around Emmanuel Sanders. I lean to the part of there's just too many players in this offense. They want to be run heavy. Their defense is good enough to keep them ahead in games that I'm not going to get there. And yeah, he's probably going to be touchdown dependent, but I do think there's a little caveat that he is a slot wide receiver and they really haven't had a good one so far this season to really want to pepper with targets. So we'll see how that goes. The other caveat is George Kittle patrols the middle of the field for this team. So overall, I think it's not really a spot I want to get to. If you own him right now, people are going to be high on him because he got traded. Now you see he scores a touchdown. I would probably try and sell maybe I think this is probably a point that you can argue is like a sell high spot for Manuel Sanders like would you say that he is a wide receiver three the rest of the year would you rank him inside your top 36 of wide receivers in PPR I probably would have him right on the fringe I was about to say he's right on the borderline there like it's probably matchup based for him at that point if he's going to be facing like a bad slot cornerback in his and it's a game where they're not like 13 point favorites then he probably makes it those weeks but more times than not he's honestly probably like outside the top 40 strangely I'd probably rather have both of the Jets guys both Robbie Anderson and Jamison Crowder with their upcoming schedule instead of having Emmanuel Sanders which sounds really bizarre to say out loud no I agree with that because I mean when you're looking at it if you're looking at a fringe wide receiver three play the guy like Robbie Anderson he's either not going to get you there and not be the reason you win or lose anyways or he'll get you there and be the reason that you win and he'll rank inside the top 15 or top 20 that week and then Crowder I think has a little bit more of a floor in terms of just receptions the Jets will probably be in more pass um, heavy scripts uh, than the 49ers this season so the other guy Mohamed Sanu ended up playing 40 or sorry 54 percent of the snaps for the Patriots in perspective of that offense Edelman 96 Dorsett 93 Jacoby Myers 36 Nikhil Harry is eligible to return off the injured reserve this week and Isaiah Wynn comes back sometime soon as well for the Patriots bolstering that offensive line which has really been a problem they say they've they're still in the market for a wide receiver right now but do you see this being around where Sanu plays, or is this just step one of getting, getting him ingrained in the offense? Because I do think that Dorsett and Edelman are locked into those 90% snap shares, and then you have to figure out who the third guy is going to be. Will it be Sanu? Will he play half the time? Is Nikhil Harry actually going to do anything? I don't really know. It's a tough situation to be in. Yeah, I so I think Sanu plays a little bit more than this. I think you see him definitely be the wide receiver three in this offense. Um, just based on the role that Philip Dorsett plays is sort of somewhat of a burner and a hybrid in the middle of the field. Edelman, though, whenever they get into three wide receiver sets and they don't have to all that often, um, especially with the running backs that they use out of the backfield, when they do, I think you're going to have Sanu on the field over Harry once he gets healthy. I think what's also interesting is like Josh Gordon might not be done for the season. Um, so it's something that we have to monitor. They're saying now he might only miss two to three weeks. So in terms of like picking him up or trading for a guy like Sanu, it might not be worth it for that much upside of what he already has. But I think he is a guy who, when the Patriots do need to run a lot more three wide receiver sets, will get on the field for around 65, 70% of the time um, and even take players off the field like Dorsett in some situations, especially closer to the red zone as a bigger body. Would, would you still hold Josh Gordon at this point for trying to figure out if he does land with another team? Yeah, I think I would. So just based on the timetables and some of the reports, it seems unlikely that he'll be coming back. Um, but if he does, there's a chance that it's only two to three weeks. So really just wait on news there. And then you could drop him in a week once we have a little bit uh, more clear news on what his status is going to be. Hmm. 
The other interesting thing from the Sanu followed is actually on Atlanta. Russell Gage played over 50% of the snaps. I mean, Matt Schaub almost threw for 500 yards. We know this is like the garbage time team to target if you're ever going to do that. Like 10-team league, no. 12-team team league, no. But 14 and up, Russell Gage is someone that I think you should at least have on your radar because Sanu was basically good in half of the games for the Falcons this year. Yeah, exactly. And this is what I wanted to see coming into this week. It was sort of a question mark on what the receiving court would look like. I imagine it would be the same three receivers in Ridley, Gage, the top three receivers after Sanu leaving and Julio being on the field a ton. And that's what it was. But I didn't know if you would see some sort of mixture of Calvin Ridley in the slot, Justin Hardy in the slot. It ended up just being Gage takes over a lot of the slot snaps there. And he's not the same type of receiver as Sanu, but he is not your traditional slot receiver. So they can use him in similar ways as he's a big bodied guy and will have a lot of mismatches coming out of the slot against undersized slot cornerbacks. So yeah, if it's a 14 man league or or deeper, I think he's going to be interesting. Um, He's going to be like the fourth or fifth priority out of the passing game right there, probably behind Devonta Freeman. Uh, But there are plays in this playbook that Sanu was the number one target on. And I imagine now Gage kind of slides into that role. Uh, anything else snap share wise that stood out to you? I guess we should talk about Ty Johnson a little bit, how he did screw over most. I mean, he screwed over everyone who ended up playing or spent fab money on him. Fortunately, I was able to get, I had him 40% of my lineups on DraftKings entering Sunday. But as soon as I heard the Camaro wasn't going to play, I tried to figure out the best way to get Latavius Murray into them. Fortunately, that meant getting off of Ty Johnson some spots, but then paying down at other spots where, I mean, it wasn't a wash because Latavius scored so many points, but we really should have saw this coming from Matt Patricia, who comes from the Patriots mold. We had Ty Johnson, 39% of snaps played. Trey Carson, 31% of snaps played. J.D. McKissick, 26% of snaps played. And Paul Perkins, in a revenge situation, was activated and played 10% of the Lions snaps. I still think Ty Johnson's the guy that you want to own, but you probably never want to play is the problem. Yeah, so I think that was the main thing on Sunday for me was seeing would they activate uh, Paul Perkins for this game. And if they had four running backs active, I just wasn't going to touch it. Three made it a little bit um, just uneasy, but at least in GPPs, you see a, a better path to upside. But when there's four guys out there splitting snaps, it makes it really hard for a guy to break free. Ty Johnson, though, like he had two penalties called back and then an overthrow on a wheel route, which would have been a touchdown. So, I mean, the guy didn't play a ton of snaps, but even on 39% of the snaps, he still could have paid off that price tag. He just really, really ran bad on Sunday. Uh, a couple other spots that stood out to me, um, in terms of just the snap counts overall, Devin Singletary just playing a ton of snaps, close to 70% of the snaps, and Frank Gore being phased out. Um, maybe it's just a product of game script there, but I think that's something that's interesting. And then Rashad Penny ends up playing 30% of the snaps. Doesn't sound like a big deal, but he was playing well. They do want to shop him. If they don't shop him, though, and maybe this was just more of an audition to boost his trade stock a little bit, but if they don't shop him, that's something to monitor. We've been seeing Chris Carson play 85% of the snaps the last three weeks. Uh, it doesn't hurt his overall usage um in terms of what a floor looks like but it might hurt what a ceiling looks like if he's only going to play 70 percent of the snaps players who played over 70 percent of the snaps in their team's backfield in week eight leonard fournette 79 percent Le'Veon bell 85 percent christian mccaffrey only 78 percent that's what happens when you finally get routed that they catch you a break you can go to the sidelines for a minute or two after that it is uh latavius murray 84 percent of the snaps devonta freeman 79 percent of the snaps david montgomery 74 percent barkley 82 percent jordan howard 73 percent ap 72 percent and dalvin cook 71 percent so no one cracked 90 percent this week in terms of teams touches that's i think the first time in a very long time that's happened yeah, I mean, most weeks it was either McCaffrey or Fournette sitting there, and now both of them kind of go below that a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of echoing what we said last week. If you're not 
if you're not owning one of these players in just a season long, you should probably, or if you are owning them, you should probably have their handcuff. And if you're not, you should probably have their handcuff somewhere in your league. What else did you find from week eight, Sal? Like, do you want to talk about Tampa Bay and their horrible play calling? Because there were some really egregious decisions. Now, you could talk about Andy Reid punting and never getting the ball back, Bill O'Brien not going for two, although you could probably talk your way out of that being like, hey, Deshaun Watson can't see, so maybe let's just kick it here and see what happens. They ended up winning, so it wasn't that big of a deal. Both Dan Quinn and Bill O'Brien go for a fourth and one in their own end and actually convert it. Smart play right there. Uh, Freddie Kitchens not seeming like he's knowing what he's doing. Matt Nagy at the end of the first half for the Bears, or maybe that's on Trubisky, but that was just an embarrassment by the Bears trying to put points up on the board, and eventually that ended up costing them. Um, If they were able just to throw a pass there, maybe they get an extra playoff. Who knows? But I think the biggest one is there's a fourth and one where Tampa could have iced that game against the Titans, and they decided to run up the middle with Peyton Barber, despite the fact that no one was doing anything on the ground. It was completely ridiculous that was the play call, and that's what ended up happening. I know it's an odd thing to point to as, like, the worst coaching move of the week, but, like, someone's got to step in there and be like, look, man, they can't cover Mike Evans. Just throw it to him two yards from the line of scrimmage, and you're going to have a first down, and this game is over. Like, what were they thinking? Yeah, I saw the HB dive that they did there. Didn't work. Rarely probably works in those situations. But, yeah, you could throw it there. But the thing that I saw, the entire drive was just at Jameis Winston. I mean, even if it wasn't a designed quarterback run, and most of them weren't, he was just taking off and running and, like, bulldozing linebackers. So when you have a fourth and one, the highest um, completion percentage on that or just conversion percentage is a quarterback dive or just a QB sneak. And, I mean, he's a big-body quarterback and just has to get the ball over the yardage line for, what, six inches or so. So that's one that stood out. I definitely agree. I think Matt Nagy's was worse just at the end of the game. I mean, you have, like, 40 seconds left to potentially get a couple more yards for your kicker who missed, like, a 30-yarder <laughs> in, the, in the first half. Uh, and then you just decide to take a knee, ends up missing it. Obviously, it's, like, a higher percentage that he makes it there. So at the end of the game, Matt Nagy just says, the thought was not to run, was not to pass, so he just stood by his decision. I think, though, most places you at least run the ball. With a running back who was having success on the day, pick up three more yards a couple more times, make it a little easier, might change the outcome there. I thought that was interesting. I thought Andy Reid's coaching last night was absolutely fantastic to make Matt Moore look like, I mean, a, a top half of the league quarterback for just the one game yesterday. Uh, just the play design on a lot of whatever it's a flea flicker, if you have Tyreek Hill coming out of the backfield, using Hill and Hardman in the ways that he did, I thought that was – Probably a top three coaching effort of the year. It's up there with uh, what I saw from Sean Payton when they faced with Teddy Bridgewater, Seattle, in Seattle. Yeah, until the very end of the game when he makes the decision to just basically give the game to Green Bay. Yeah, I mean, punting the ball with five minutes left and your defense making, what, one stop that entire game on like a three and out type of situation. So not stopping the run all season long, dating back to last year. They didn't do it on the final drive. Uh, So, yeah, up until that five-minute point, I thought the play calling was fantastic. Um, that's exactly what Andy Reid does. Like, if you look at his historic track record, he believes in like the data there of punting the ball, but I don't know what data he's looking at. So the other things I wanted to talk about was Cleveland. They get embarrassed again. Although that game was watching the game, it was a lot close. It was a lot closer match than I think the final score would indicate. Obviously, the Patriots defense bit too much, but like. Nick Chubb, you don't fumble like twice, and all of a sudden you're looking at the Baker one was just ridiculous. But you know, three turnovers are just not going to cut it against the Patriots. You need to play a somewhat flawless game. But I went into the week saying 
something to the effect of that the teams that are going to give the Patriots the most problems as we get further into the season are the teams with a decent pass rush. And we know that Cleveland actually has that. You can rattle Brady a little bit, especially with this offensive line banged up. You get him off the spot. He doesn't look quite as good. And he, he was fine, but he wasn't great by any means. And he hasn't been great this season. He's been exactly what they need. Good enough to continue to roll. They're obviously the best team in football. So it's not an argument against that. But like the Bills, the Browns, the teams that can generate pressure with only four guys tend to be the teams that give the Patriots the most problems. You just have to play. You can't, like with Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield on the other side of the ball, you can't just be turning the ball over. I mean, it's just an instant recipe uh, for disaster. But I think there is a team that's going to catch them off guard here, and I'm just trying to figure out who it might be. Yeah, so I think the recipe to beat them is exactly what you said. You have to have a pass rush, but on the other side, you have to have just a – not even a serviceable, but a good quarterback. So like the teams that stand out to me, they're not in the AFC. So, I mean, you're going to see them for the most part in like the Super Bowl. Uh, so that's where they luck out. You have teams like the Saints that have a pass rush and a good quarterback, the Packers, a pass rush and a good quarterback. It's easy to avoid um, those teams. And I mean, just schedule wise. So yeah, the teams that you said stand out, but I don't know if I trust and maybe with a full game, Josh Allen, the second go around has an opportunity there. I'm not tr- sure I really trust that, but that's sort of the recipe. This game was just uh, it was just Cleveland not trying to win the game. I mean, you see the first three possessions of the game, like you said, Nick Chubb, two fumbles, and then some sort of pitch by Maker Mayfield that's just technically intercepted. Uh, it, was, it was a really rough start. Both teams were getting pressure. Uh, Tom Brady sacked three times. You saw Baker Mayfield sack five times. Baker the whole game. Uh, yes, it's a really good secondary. Yes, he hasn't been playing well, but the guy needs time. I mean, he was scrambling on almost every other drop back. Really tough to win a game against that sort of defense in that environment in New England uh, when you have absolutely no time to throw the ball. Uh, do you want to talk about the Browns' schedule to end the season? Because I do. Th- I don't necessarily think they're going to like turn it around, but it's one of the easiest in the league as we close out the season. So Odell Beckham's still a prime trade candidate if people are looking to sell low on him because they're so frustrated. Or maybe that team is just so bad in your league that they're like 0-8, that they're not making trades anymore anyway. But the rest of the season, tougher matchup up against the Broncos. Probably get the Chris Harris shadow like we saw on T.Y. Hilton today. That's not a fantastic matchup for him. But for the team in general, it's not bad. Then the Bills, whose defense is starting to look a bit wobbly the past few weeks not great against philly not great last week against miami maybe they can right the ship and get this all back together i don't know but it's not looking like a top five unit like they did for the first like six weeks of the season steelers Dolphins, steelers bengals cardinals ravens like that's a pretty good way to enter the fantasy playoffs in like smash spots once you get in them yeah i agree especially if you're talking about individual players and like not the team as a whole yeah, honestly, like right now, if I owned Odell, I would probably be feeling pretty down on it. And it's probably a spot that you could take advantage of and get him in trades this upcoming week against the Broncos going into Denver. I do think it's a tougher matchup for some of these guys. Like you said, Chris Harris, this Broncos run defense has been pretty good. We'll see what the Bills can do turning around. But yeah, once we're like three or four weeks and closer to the playoffs, whenever you get Miami and the Bengals in the fantasy playoffs and even Arizona in that secondary, a little bit more shored up with Patrick Peterson there, but still nowhere near as good on the other side. Uh, It's a nice spot to target. I mean, the main targets there are just Odell and Nick Chubb. The concerns with Nick Chubb are if Kareem Hunt does come back and see 30% of the snaps and play well, does he push him enough in the fantasy playoffs for it to cap him? I don't know, and I guess that's something that we have to watch out for. Let's talk about the Power Five this week. I think we both agree that New England is probably number one or 1A with 1B with San Francisco at this point. But who do you have as your next three teams in the overall Power Bowl? Yeah, so I have New England, I have San Francisco, I have New Orleans, Green Bay, and then my fifth team right now, it's very close, but fifth, I have Baltimore. So you would have, I mean, what do we make of Seattle? Like, Seattle didn't end up covering against Atlanta today, but it just seemed like one of those games where they did enough to get up early and then just went on cruise control. And they're like, we're not going to lose, so why even try hard? 
Yeah, I have Seattle as the number six team right now. And I, I think if you – so in that game, I didn't really – I wasn't impressed with what I was seeing on the offense outside of Chris Carson just continuing to just beast mode it. Um, but on the other side, really, DK Metcalf, both of his touchdowns were wide open. Uh, Tyler Lockett was making nice catches, and Russell Wilson was being himself. But on the other side, I'm really concerned about the secondary here. It's what I've been saying all year long. Even in, like, bad matchups in terms of bad quarterbacks against them, Mason Rudolphs of the world, Teddy Bridgewaters, being able to really do whatever they want in situations where they need to against that secondary. And you see Matt Schaub doing it again. I mean, a lot of that was in a fourth quarter, and really not a lot. You throw for over 400 yards, but a good chunk of it was in a fourth quarter where it's just garbage time. But he was moving the ball all game long. There was just some stalled drives in the red zone and then a couple of turnovers. But it was a spot where I really don't trust this secondary enough. I trust the Baltimore Ravens secondary a little bit more now after they made some moves and got some guys back. So New England, San Francisco, New Orleans, Green Bay, and then it's sort of a toss-up for the fifth team is basically what we're saying. Yeah, like the fifth team, it, it was hard for me. I, I was ranking it different ways. I have Baltimore, Indy, Kansas City, and Seattle. And the Kansas City one's just like the caveat that these games that they're going to lose if they lose another one with Matt Moore, we know what they really are with Patrick Mahomes at the helm. Yeah, it's a tough situation. I'm wondering, like, do you think the Chargers can get themselves healthy enough? Like, they must have a bye coming up here at some point. I Let's see. Los Angeles Chargers, week 12 bye. So coming out of that week 12 bye, if they can just go 500 from here on out, like, they really need to beat the Packers this week. And we'll see. Rivers, and always in a great spot on the – just as an underdog in general, one of the best against the spread records of any quarterback of all time. Maybe it's because he's constantly underrated. But if they can somehow sneak out a win against Green Bay, who's sort of on cruise control right now, all of a sudden the Chargers are – just because the sixth seed in the AFC is so wide open that I think that they're live still somehow. Yeah, we talked about this last week. I mean, this this is the week. Like, you have what just seems like a mismatch, even though you're at home. And a banged-up offensive line still a week one against a really good pass rush. It just doesn't seem like in a, in a strong secondary still, even though they don't show out last night as much um, in Green Bay. It's a tough matchup. But, yeah, if they get through this week, then, yeah, you have Oakland coming up. You have Kansas City with potentially, and you really have to run hot there, but no Patrick Mahomes still. And then you have a decent enough schedule through the rest of the way. I think they have to get healthy for sure. That's a big piece of this. I think their offensive line is um, a big issue, though, right now. It just seems like you see one play a game maybe to Mike Williams downfield, and they are keeping in some extra protection, so that helps out. Um, but overall, I think it's, it's obviously a long shot, and we talked about it last week. Uh, and it really comes down to this week. And then if Patrick Mahomes comes back, I think it's tough. I probably don't see them there. But yeah, if you're trying to bet on a long shot to make the playoffs, they're one that lines up just because of the talent that they have. And then you see Keenan Allen, even on these limited snaps, quote unquote, um, still going out there and playing because they just need bodies. Well, the Vikings have won four in a row and five of six right now. And they have a very, they kind of luck out a little bit because it doesn't seem like Patrick Mahomes is going to be back this week. But they're at Kansas City, then at the Cowboys in the Sunday night or the week after, at home against the Broncos, then at Seattle. That's a really tough stretch for the Vikings. But if they're actually legit, and I'm not sure if they are or not, they're a very confusing team to try to figure out. But they'll probably end up making the playoffs at this pace right now. If they can get out of these games with like a two and two record, then they can't necessarily coast because they have the lions, chargers, Packers and bears the rest of the way. But even at this point, if they play 500, they're going to get 10 wins and that probably gets them in. Yeah. 10 wins probably gets you in this year, but we'll, we'll see how it ends up. I agree that they're a really tough team to read out. Like, I mean the performance and they didn't really have to do much. It was a weird game where the Redskins, if you take one turnover away, that game is a lot closer than it seems. Um, but both teams really didn't have to do much. And the Vikings didn't, really never had anything uh, or any pressure to really have to make them go for it in spots. They were just really reluctant to uh, throw the ball anywhere other than Stefan Diggs in that game. And they were fine keeping it on the ground with 
Alexander Madison and Dalvin Cook. So it was a game that didn't impress me. So it kind of bumps them down rankings when you're splitting hairs up there. Um, I think it'll be an interesting spot these next two weeks. I do think that the Chiefs, even without, since they are still home, even without Patrick Mahomes, will give them a run like we saw. That's a primetime game. So maybe it's more of a get up spot. But I do trust sort of Andy Reid's coaching for the majority of that game. And then, yeah, going into Dallas is a tough spot. So they get two game road stretch, which will really kind of test out. If you come out with two wins here, yeah, you're going to probably make the playoffs. You will make the playoffs. Um, but if you lose these two games, it's going to be really tough. I think well, winning in Dallas is tough. Yeah, well, winning in Dallas is tough. It's going to be interesting to see this week because that game is currently off the board. And it does seem like a situation where you probably want to bet on the Chiefs. We saw what they were able to do to mask together their offense with Matt Moore. You do worry that it's just going to be Delvin Cook, 40 carries, and the Chiefs won't be able to stop it. But Minnesota has been bad outdoors against teams with winning records over the past two years, and that is Kansas City right now. Yeah, and honestly, that's like Kirk Cousins just in general, bad outdoors. I think that um, Kansas City is a spot, and then you look three weeks from now when they go to, or they're going to be home against Denver, but they face a team in Denver that will stop the run. I think these are really tough matchups for them and really kind of weed out if they are a top team or not. Well, let's jump into the waiver wire at wide receiver this week. Not much really changes, to tell you the truth, but we have Devontae Parker still at number one. You probably don't want to, I mean, you probably didn't play him this week, uh, but he gets the Jets next week. That is a much more favorable situation for him. Uh, Kenny Stills, as long as Will Fuller is out, I still think that Kenny Stills playing 97% of the snaps in that offense is fine. Philip Dorsett at number three. Chris Conley moves up to number four with this D.D. Westbrook injury. If Westbrook is out, then Chris Conley is someone that you do want to look at. They play the London game this week. It's probably a one-week plug-and-play, but I do like the matchup against a banged-up Texan secondary. Preston Williams, Auden Tate, Deshaun Hamilton. Uh, maybe he can start working back in a little bit more. I don't know. Maybe he's just garbage. Who knows? Josh Reynolds. The problem is they're on bye, and Brandon Cooks might be back with his concussion problem uh, by the time they get out of the bye week, so that's a tougher situation, but if he does somehow start, you probably do want to play him. Darius Slayton, McCole Hardman. The injuries from wide receiver this week gd westbrook exited the game with that shoulder problem he also has a neck issue so they might hold him out knowing that they have a bye week coming up so he probably doesn't play this week against the texans brandon cooks has a concussion they're on bye. calvin ridley suffered what was potentially a concussion he left the game briefly and then came back in jarius Wright, same thing he got carted off early in that san francisco game but ended up back in the game later on Thielen missed the week he should be back will fuller is probably out a few more weeks then you have Nikhil harry eligible to return traquan smith uh still hasn't played in ages uh sterling shepherd we don't know where he stands with this concussion he says he'll be back at some point this season but until he's out it does seem like Darius Slayton could be kind of legit here yeah Darius Slayton I mean you get two touchdowns two jump ball touchdowns looks really good the only guy for the most part being targeted downfield by Daniel Jones sort of getting a connection there in the slot it's all Golden Tate that's where Daniel Jones wants to look in the slot or short to Saquon this past week but it's really been Golden Tate for the most part but on the outside I mean he's not targeting Cody Lattimore all that much not targeting Benny Fowler it's really uh, Darius Slayton, and it makes sense. I mean, the guy's the most athletic receiver out of all of them, the biggest upside there. So I think he is viable. Just looking at some of the other names on the list, I agree with a lot of them. I like that you still have Auden Tate on there and not Alex Erickson. I know that we saw Alex Erickson have a nice week, uh, not this past week, but the week before, but his snaps dropped back down to 60%. Alex Erickson, really all of his production in a spot where 52 attempts by Andy Dalton came on a big catch with about 40 seconds left in the game in garbage time, and that's all he had. The only other spots that I think are worth mentioning in probably deeper leagues because it's a slot wide receiver. Danny Amendola, I think this Detroit offense is just going to throw more uh, unless they secure maybe a Rashad Penny in for, or in the before the trade deadline. I think they're just going to continue to throw. Uh, Amendola stands out. Alan Lazard, if Devontae Adams continues to miss, but it's not a spot that you want to waste a waiver on. But Lazard, once again, led the Packers in 
uh, snaps last week at wide receiver, but it probably doesn't matter based on how Aaron Jones is being used. Well, the big thing with Auden Tate, he's top 10 right now in the league in red zone targets. Uh, he's just a big dude, and he has a great catch radius. So if the Bengals ever do get down there, maybe they, throw, they had a touchdown taken off the board uh, as well, which would have, A, helped out his fantasy owners, and B, helped the Bengals cover the spread against the Rams with no time remaining on the clock. But I just wonder about what his role is going to be in this offense if A.J. Green returns. They're going on by theoretically he should be okay for week 10 right yeah I think so I think he should be okay by week 10 and, and that's the big thing is what happens with AJ Green it obviously makes Alex Erickson even in deeper leagues not valuable but Auden Tate a guy who had to face a lot of Jalen Ramsey this, this past week so if you do see the stats coming down somebody drops him I do think it is worth an ad like you said Josh Reynolds is going to be on by so odds are and he's had a lot of issues with his Brandon Cooks with his concussions but odds are he will be back in two weeks um, based on just a normal recovery time. We'll see since he's had some concussion syndrome before if that lingers. But um, outside of that, we kind of nailed what these top wide receivers are. It seems. I think A.J. Brown's worth a mention, but the way they're rotating wide receivers and Ryan Tannehill um, in a run-first offense, it's really thin, probably more of like your 14-man leagues. He's just too hard. Like, I played him on DraftKings this week, and he ended up catching the touchdown at the end. So it was a great two catches for like 10 yards and a touchdown. It didn't really move the needle at all. Yeah, and I, I played – him in spots, and then I, I preferred Corey Davis, so that hurt even more. Yeah, that's that's just stay away from the Titans' offense. It's just not good. So Derrick Henry in certain situations where they're not playing the best-run defense in the league, that's probably a good spot. Other than that, yeah, it's a bit dicier. Uh, maybe when we talk about tight ends, we'll talk about Johnny Smith and or Delaney Walker. But the other guys on the injury report, Hollywood Brown returns from bye week. He should be good to go. He was close last time around against Seattle. I'd expect him back. Devontae Adams eventually has to return at some point so maybe this is the situation against the chargers it seemed like he was pretty close this week in the sunday nighter so give him another week hopefully he's back into sean jackson they say he's going to return to practice this week is this what the eagles offense has been missing i know it's a really strange thing to say it's deshaun jackson but just having that vertical threat on the field will we see the offense return to what we more or less expected from it or is this just whatever I mean, it's definitely going to help. I don't, I don't know if it's what they needed because right now the offense and potentially losing Miles Sanders, we'll see what that looks like um, for some time. But the offense just looks really stagnant. I mean, Alshon Jeffrey's not a deep target. And when the replacement right now for Deshaun Jackson is not catching ball in the past four weeks of the season and Mac Holmes, Hollins, and just not getting any separation, yeah, it's, it's terrible. So having a guy in Deshaun Jackson who was still effective and getting open in the first couple of weeks of the season. It's definitely uh, what they need. I don't know if it's the actual answer to what their offense is doing right now in struggles. I think it's just, this was a game where they put it all together against a good defense. You take it and you go from there. And Deshaun Jackson is definitely a, a big piece to kind of stretch the field. And really it's just the drop off of what's there in replace of him right now. Let's move to tight end. The injuries at the position. Jeff Hearman hurt his knee. He exited the game, did not return for the Broncos. O.J. Howard did not play with his hamstring problem. Neither did Delaney Walker. Neither did Jared Cook. Neither did Matt Lacoste, Chris Herndon, Jeff Swaim, or Vernon Davis this week. So, as a part of the waiver wire pickups, I'm going to keep Herndon up there. It did seem like he was inching closer to playing. We talked about the Jets' easier schedule as the season goes along. Chris Herndon's going to be a focal point of that offense. Why not? Darren Fells, Dallas Goddard, Johnny Smith. I would have Johnny Smith a bit higher, but I do think that Delaney Walker comes back, and if that's the case, he's not going to play like 80% of the snaps. He's going to play like 30% of the snaps, and he's kind of useless. Yeah, he, he becomes more useless at that point. I will say before Delaney Walker got hurt, 
John o. Smith was staying on the field a lot. I think it was a little bit skewed because this is a run first team and John o. Smith right now is the better blocking tight end than Delaney Walker. So you saw Delaney Walker snaps coming down still. So I don't know if he's that much of an upside guy when he comes back, surely the guy you trust more in the offense. Um, but in terms of like these snap counts, I think they will be split into each other based on some game flows. Uh, I do think that, yeah, Noah Font's interesting based on this Herman injury. And then also Emmanuel Sanders leaving. If anybody, I think it does help uh, Noah Font the most. It's going to help directly Fred Brown, the guy who played outside for Emmanuel Sanders. But I mean, Fred Brown is Fred Brown. You don't know who he is and you probably won't know who he is. So <laughs> I think that the guy who's going to get the most benefit there is definitely Noah Brown on the slot and really playing out of the slot on a lot of his snaps right now, uh, close to 50% when he does line up. And also being right there with Jeff Herman being injured, you saw him run play 80 plus percent of the snaps see eight targets so there's a little upside there for a guy who if that injury is serious can be something probably touchdown dependent but be something to fill in for some injuries or bye weeks quarterback streams for week nine it's kind of barren there's not a lot of great streaming opportunities the best matchups are for the guys that are already owned but there's one that obviously stands out did you know Sal, that Jameis Winston has nine turnovers in his past two games and has an average of 25 fantasy points in those two games. Well, I think I think the correlation for that, I mean, it's 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 like the Blake Bortles disease kind of. I think the correlation's got to be there in terms of it's exactly what I wanted yesterday. I played my highest on stack was Tampa Bay stacks, and I want when I saw Jameis Winston turnovers, fumble, whatever, it's not his fault, interception. Um, I, I was happy because they get down early. Now it's just throw the ball nonstop for Jameis 50 attempts. And you know, sure, he'll have an interception here or there. doesn't really matter too much in fantasy. It just matters now that he's going to throw like six, seven more times that next drive at least. Yeah, people conflate real life being good versus fantasy being good a lot of the time. And Jameis is fantasy awesome. He is at Seattle this week. You know the Seahawks are going to put up points in this game. It's going to be really hard to run on Tampa Bay with the league's best run defense. You know Seattle's going to try, but it might not be super effective. So if they actually have to pass a little bit more than you would think, it might actually extend the game and lead to even more plays uh, based on stopping the clock based off of uh, incomplete passes uh, rather than just running the ball and keeping the clock moving. So Jameis, by far the best stream of the week at Seattle. Then Darnold at Miami, Trubisky against Philadelphia, Kyle Allen at home against Tennessee, and Gardner Minshew in London against the Texans. No J.J. Watt for the rest of the season, but we saw last time around that the Texans defense gave Gardner Minshew a lot of problems. I think he has a pretty good floor because of his rushing upside, but I just don't know what the overall upside is for him in the passing game against the Texans. Yeah, so I actually, I like Gardner Minshew a good amount. I would still put Jameis over him. I think that the Seattle secondary is is pretty bad. Griffin's been good, but the other players back there, Trey Flowers, it's going to be another good matchup for the Mike Evans of the world, for Chris Goblin in the slot. So good spot there for Jameis. Uh, but I, I like Minshew here. We've, we've been seeing in the past couple of weeks before this past week, Minshew had sort of happy feet. And when he leaves the pocket, it's hurting him with open receivers downfield. This week, he was keeping the plays alive. And two of his touchdowns were because he just eluded rush and kept the play alive, extended plays. So he gets it on the ground in terms of rushing upside, but he's also keeping plays alive. And now no J.J. Watt for the rest of the year should help him a little bit and, and a decent amount with having some more protection. So I definitely like Minshew probably right behind Jameis Winston this week for streamer options. Um, he is right now, and it's, and it's a tough spot, uh, but a, a starting or a starting quarterback in probably some of these uh, deeper 16-team leagues. Defenses to pick up and play. Hopefully you got a good one, because if not, you might have to go like Indianapolis at Pittsburgh would be my top stream of the week. Maybe I'll get this figured out and update them later on on Tuesday night once I see the updated DVOA in terms of pass blocking and pass rushing. But then like the Eagles against Chicago, just stream against Mitch Trubisky should work out. The Texans, like I mentioned with Minchu, Minchu fumbles a lot, so that's problematic. The Jets, hey, they're playing Miami. 
maybe try that out. Broncos against Cleveland, I think, is super interesting. The Panthers against Tennessee, the issue is Panthers bad against the run. Tennessee will just try to run. That's not leading to a ton of fantasy points. What do you make of the Broncos versus Cleveland? I know the Chubb is out for the season, but they still have Vaughn Miller and just the Browns show a propensity to turn the ball over at the weirdest times. Yeah, so I think the Browns, right now, their biggest upside is probably going through Nick Chubb, even with Odell out there. And I think Denver's run defense, although they got torched by Leonard Fournette in a game where they had two of their front seven guys out, two of their better run stoppers out, since then they've been very good on the ground. So I think it's a really good spot to force Baker Mayfield to throw more. And we saw last week when he has to drop back a lot of times trailing in a game or even in a neutral environment when the run's not working potentially against Denver. It's going to be tough because his offensive line is just coming into this year. They really didn't fix it. And it's just gotten worse through injuries through this season. So I think it's a spot where, yeah, if you get a bad offensive line against a team that can pressure and also stop the run, if that's something you're good at, it's a nice spot to force some turnovers. Uh, so I actually have right now Denver on here as like a, the fifth streaming option for the week. Let's talk about Monday Night Football. It's not a game. I don't think any. I might not even watch it until tomorrow. I might skip out on the game in terms of watching it, and I'll probably end up getting suckered into watching it. But I'd, it's one of these games I'd probably just prefer to watch the next morning on like the sped-up version, just being like, hey, I don't need to spend three hours doing this. I'll spend an hour doing this and just skip through the commercials and skip through all the stupid timeouts and everything like that. But Steelers, 14-point favorites at home against the Dolphins. Obviously, we know there's no Kenyon Drake in this matchup. So... First of all, spread-wise, I still like the Steelers. I'm not having a great spread week. I believe I'm 6-8 and eight coming into tonight. But, you know, after 12-2 and two last week, you got to take the good with the bad if I'm just going to end up in a situation where I can tread some water on the bad weeks. That's good news. But with the Steelers' defense, it's just going to be really tough to see the Dolphins moving the ball. So if we even talk about the spread, minus 14, the over-under, I have no real opinion on that. But if we talk about DraftKings Showdown, what do you want to do with your captain slot? Because I think a lot of people may turn to Mark Walton here because he's cheap. He's only $9,000 as your captain on DraftKings here, knowing that he's going to get a large percentage of the workload. I just don't like this matchup at all for him. Yeah, so so starting with the DraftKings side of it, yeah, it's, it's a really tough spot. I mean, you have James Conner, the, probably the best play in the game, but he's $13,400. So when you factor in salary, really tough to get him in your captain spot. Uh, there's a couple of spots that I like here. I like both of the wide receivers on the outside who will probably play 80 plus percent of the snaps and Devonte Parker and Preston Williams. Devonte Parker seems to be Ryan Fitzpatrick's more preferred target, more air yards, but Preston Williams is also up there in air yards and also targets. So I'll take the thousand dollar savings. I like Preston Williams as a captain option as well as Parker paying all the way up for James Conner on this type of a slate. I actually think it's fine because there's a lot of value options on the board, even some high upside ones in terms of their snap count. Um, I'm probably not going to get to Mark Walton for the same reasons uh, as you just mentioned. You're going to need a high, probably two touchdowns out of Mark Walton for it to pay off unless he just catches six or seven balls. Even then, will he outscore some other players around his price range like a Preston Williams, Devontae Parker? I don't think so. In terms of the spread of the game, yeah, 14 points. I, I lean, I don't have a side in this, but I lean Pittsburgh. And I think a big piece of it will be if Jalen Samuels does suit up, he practiced in full this past week, he should be suiting up. If he returns, well, it's a lot easier to keep drives going if you have Jalen Samuels and Connor as a one-two punch than Benny Snell and Connor. So I think that just kind of milks his clock a little bit. It plays into the advantage of the Steelers. Uh, so if he's active and I expect him to be, I would lean the Steelers. So those you hit on one of the more interesting names on this DraftKings showdown slide, Jalen Samuels against the league's worst run defense at $4,400. To make him your captain, it would only cost $6,600. we have seen situations where both Connor and Samuels are on the field at the same time. We've seen Wildcat from Jalen Samuels, and then he ended up getting hurt. If he does play, do you have interest in him at $4,400? 
I definitely have interest and a lot of interest in terms of the flex spots um, in the captain spot. So like the main thing for him is, does he have two touchdown upside? And it probably comes down to how quickly does this turn into a blowout if it turns into a blowout? So I think there's a lot of risk there. That's probably what you need from a captain. I lean to put him in my flex spot a lot. And I do think it's okay. Like if you're making groups or something or just building by hand to have both Connor and um, a guy like Samuels in your lineups, both of them, I think it's fine. We've seen it work out for, a handful of teams this season. And the one that stands out is the Cowboys with Zeke and Pollard, both going for a hundred plus. What about Kalen Bellage at $1,600? If a lot of people are going to play Walton, they probably won't play Bellage. But we did speak about a scenario at the very beginning of the show where maybe this is just a, an attempt that, hey, Walton's a starter. He sees some work. We know Bellage has been handling all the red zone duty anyway. But let's say we get him an uptick to 50% of the snaps or 45% of the percent of the snaps not out of the realm of possibility plus you get all the goal line work first you need to try to think hey are the dolphins ever going to get near the goal line that i don't know but if they do Bellage will probably be in the game and probably get the first crack at the end zone it seems to me for that price tag if you wanted to do it it would be somewhat worth trying to take that shot yeah so the price tag is what's interesting on him right now i have him as a no for an interest of mine but that is contingent upon me thinking that Miles Gaskin might be active or just a third running back will be active and see uh, potentially more snaps uh, and probably more snaps than Kalen Bellage more times than not. If they only have these two running backs active, then yes, for 1600 you're probably going to have him at least playing 30% of the snaps with goal line upside. The big concern here is, I mean, we see it more weeks than not, especially where they're 14-point underdogs going into Pittsburgh now. If they just get behind big here, there's a real chance that the leading rusher for this team has eight to nine carries. And it's really tough to see Kalen Blige being that guy, let alone breaking free for a long run. He's more of the goal line type of back. So if Gaskins is out, I'll have more interest. He'll, he'll, he'll make like a player pool if I entered a lot of lineups. But for right now, he probably doesn't. Last thing for the week. I'm looking ahead to the Sunday night game, the New England Patriots, the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens are three and a half point dogs at home to kick off the week. What do you do with Lamar Jackson in this spot? Whether it be, obviously, it's going to be a showdown slate for DraftKings. So we don't need to be too worried about that. But for season-long purposes, you have Lamar Jackson going up against the best defense. You start Lamar every single week. He's one of the best quarterbacks in fantasy football. But this is against this defense and against Belichick, who takes away the best thing that you do. And the best thing that the Ravens do is Lamar Jackson. Yeah, so we haven't really seen teams all that much put any sort of like a QB spy on Lamar Jackson. They've tried, but they just don't have the personnel or the scheme to do it. And I would expect that's what you see at points in this game is to have some sort of spy on him, um, whoever might be a linebacker for the Patriots to do it. Yeah, in showdown slates, we can talk about that. But for season long, yeah, if you have any viable guy to put in his place, I think I do here. Like he has a nice floor because of his rushing upside, but this is a totally different beast. Um, they're going to be at home, so that helps a little bit. Uh, but this defense is pretty tough. We've seen it in spots where he does survive because of his upside on the ground. I think he's going to have very little, if any, upside in the air because uh, even if Hollywood Brown comes back, it's very limited um, just weapons that the Patriots have to take away. So it all comes down to him on the ground, and I think this defense is going to know that as well. I go to somebody else here. Like, honestly, if Jameis Winston or Gardner Minshew is there, I would stream and start. It might sound a little bit bold, but I think this matchup is very scary for Lamar. Yeah, I'm going to have to think through this. I'll talk to Celia on tomorrow's ranking show about what he wants to do with Lamar Jackson. The one caveat to this, and we haven't really seen this New England defense versus past incarnations of this defense because this one's so much better. But historically, they have struggled with running quarterbacks in the past. Yeah, it's a fair point to make. And that's something that uh, should probably be weighed when making the decision. Uh, just so far from what we've seen this year is if there's a situation where Lamar and it's happened, I mean, in two or three games where he just can't get anything going through the air, he resorts right to his legs and he's had a lot of success. I guess just what I'm leveraging there is that, like you said, Bill Belichick is going to know that 
the biggest weapon, if it's not Mark Andrews, is probably Lamar's legs in just making this any sort of a game, the three-and-a-half-point spread indicating that it will be. All right. Sal Vetri, at Sal Vetri DFS on Twitter. Tell everyone where they can find all your work and what you got coming up this week because I, I know you're back into NBA already. Yeah, NBA. We're seven for seven in these daily videos. We're, we're keeping up with it right now. But yeah, NBA videos will be daily on the YouTube channel. You can just find that. Uh, it's just Sal Vetri, my name on YouTube. It's also stripped for an audio podcast on just all podcast platforms. Uh, same type of content there. Then you can find me on Twitter at Sal Vetri DFS. And then you can find me um, on this week, the Awesome o YouTube channel on Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday at 11 a.m. talking some NFL. Do you get a day off during the week? That's a busy schedule, my man. I think, uh, I mean, Saturday, I just do that show on Awesome at 11. Um, and that's pretty much all I do on Saturdays besides just prep a little stuff for Sunday. But that's kind of the day off. All right. I'm Pat Mayo. You can follow me at the PME, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. There is a giveaway associated to that Instagram account. You can rewind to the beginning of the show to figure that out. But if you do want to get into a draw for 20 DK dollars, smash the like button for this video. You should be doing that anyway. Leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section and tell me, where you would rank Mark Walton rest of the season at running back for PPR purposes. I think between Sal and I, we came down somewhere around like 28 Carlos Hyde type range. And maybe it depends on your team, but you might even want one of the handcuffs. And whether it's your handcuff or not, like the Armsteads, the Pollards, that type of player over someone like Mark Walton that you might never need to use. But in deeper leagues, he is someone that you definitely want to own. Ranks number one in the waiver wire column this week. That waiver wire column will be updated for the next two days on breaking news, trades, and injuries. So always check back. You can find all those links in the description and comment section of this video. Some of the audio podcasts as well. Why not, right? Always available on demand after all these live shows. It's a must listen, or at least a must download for me. For you, I mean, I have no idea. Anyway, I'm Pat Mayo. Thank you all for watching. Good luck this week. I'll see you next time. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.